Hello, you're listening to Future Artifacts FM, a radio show hosted by Neve Schmidtke and Nina Davies. Earlier this year, several radio frequencies were discovered airing a collection of broadcasts. At first, they sounded like regular news stories and interviews. They felt familiar, but also not quite belonging to our present. Slowly, the listeners came to believe that what they were listening to did indeed belong to their world, just not their time. They were looking into the future through the mundane edges of radio recordings and public service announcements. While this material is still being meticulously studied by researchers in various universities and museums, your hosts have managed to gain access to this collection to air a selection of these broadcasts for you, our listeners. For full disclosure, we will not be sharing this collection with you, as this introduction is based on a fictional event. In this monthly broadcast, Future Artifacts FM, we will present speculative fiction pieces by artists and writers, followed by conversation with hosts Neve Schmidtke and Nina Davies. The programme will focus on fictional works intended for broadcast, such as radio plays or fictional interviews, to carve out a better understanding of the now by exploring various interpretations of the future. Welcome back, everyone, to our next episode of Future Artifacts. I don't know which number we're on anymore, but I think this is a... Um, we're on 16. This is episode 16, but maybe it's like 16.1, 16.0. And then there's like, this is the episode 16 will happen next, but... It's kind of a special edition. Yeah, this is a special edition. We're joined here with um, two of our previous artists, who we'll introduce in a second, but also Maya Kenny, who is a curator from Hatham, which we are going to be producing a mini-series with um, over the the coming months. Uh, Maya, do you want to introduce Hatham just quickly for us? Yes, thank you so much, Nina. Um, Yeah, Hatham is one of the most unique art spaces I've ever been to, and I'm not just saying that because I work there. Uh, it's a art space for contemporary art, but doesn't really make any sort of temporal or hierarchical distinction between what kind of arts we, we uh, program. Um, and it's uh, uh, just north of Amsterdam across the North Sea Canal uh, in a 9,000 square meter former bullet factory. So it has a pretty insane history, quite a violent one, you could say. Um, And it's been around since 2019. So we do one big exhibition every year. And right now, Hedhem is closed due to badly needed renovations. Again, old bullet factory, (laughs) lots of bullet holes. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, And uh, so for the next year, we are doing a new digital program called The Couch, uh, which I am the curator of. And The Couch, which we will provide a link to, I guess, is a some, somewhere between an online arts magazine and a digital art space. So <clears throat> apart from uh, publishing interviews, articles, essays, we're also making this podcast with future artifacts and commissioning digital artworks so it's something like a hodgepodge of or maybe um i don't know an overview of what art on the digital sphere is right now so good spot and from that has emerged this theme kind of thinking about 
magic and technology and sort of like these different spaces on the digital realm, which is the topic of this mini series that we're kind of entering into now. This is sort of introduction or, or part one in a way, part one. And then there's going to be three three following commissioned episodes with uh, new works or featuring works by artists who are already looking at kind of these intersections between magic and technology. And so today we're really excited to bring back two artists who we've worked with before, who we really enjoyed working with before, um, Rebecca Romero and Akinshola Lawanson, who have made works on the radio show that also have kind of looked at this, these points between either between magic and technology or how the two are influencing each other or how they kind of interweave with one another. And I guess today we're going to be more in-depthly crossing over those works with Het Hem's new program on the couch. Also with your essay, Maya, um, The Mystics of the Thulacine, which is currently on the couch's website, which Nina and I were both kind of fangirling over a little bit earlier. Um, but yeah, I don't know if there's... That's, I think maybe, that's it. Yeah, I might just... Um, provide a little bit more of a official intro to everyone uh, just in case I mean most of our listeners will not be familiar with Maya obviously because this is the first time you're on a show some of you might be familiar with Akinshola and Rebecca but just in case you're not um, we'll start with Rebecca um, she's an interdisciplinary artist born in Peru and based in London where we are also based apart from uh, Maya um, through a, a range of media that includes sculpture, ceramics, textiles, sound, performance, and video, she explores concepts of diasporic identity through fiction and their relationship to the digital age, often combining pre-Columbian iconography with advanced scanning and printing technologies and materials ranging from clay to plastic. Her works swing drastically between the past and an alternate future, Examining the storytelling potential of artifacts, Romero looks into the intervention of the digital archive as a history-making technique. Online museum archives become an excavation ground for the collection of data that she later recontextualizes, reassembles, and represents. And Akinshola Lawanson is a British-Nigerian multidisciplinary artist living and working in London. He works in moving images, installations, and video game engines in projects that examine relational systems, digital technologies, and process philosophy. Akinshola's video works are inspired by the alt-Nollywood movement, which borrows narrative, stylistic, and visual conventions of Nollywood, but with politically subversive ends. And last but not least, uh, Maya Kenny is an art historian, curator, and critic specialized in the feminist underpinnings of modernist art movements and a proponent of the destruction of modernism as a Eurocentric storytelling device. She is the curator and editor of The Couch, Hethem's digital artistic platform, and teaches theory in the Master of Contextual Design and Design Academy, Eindhoven. For anyone who's coming to this through Hethem and has no idea what this radio show is. We're Future Artifacts FM. We regularly commission speculative fiction audio works. We're very interested in world building, storytelling, futures, alternative ways of thinking about futures. And I'm Neve Schmidtke and you just heard Nina Davies. And we're both artists who work in 
similar medias as well. Welcome, and we love to radio. The show, <laughs> we love radio. We love, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so basically, uh, technology and magic. Let's get into it. So I think to start off, I mean, I'm sure that we're gonna we're gonna divert and go on loads of different tangents. But before we start off, I wanted to ask what we consider magic and technology to be, and if there are links between these two that influenced the works we're discussing today, which is obviously Rebecca's work, The New Worshippers, and I can show this work, Basode. Uh, Rebecca, do you want to, just because you're, you're next in my Zoom, you're the next person yeah, in my yeah, Zoom thing, do you want to go first? Uh, absolutely. Uh, okay, so... I feel like magic uh, can be understood as the power uh, of apparently influencing events by using mysterious or supernatural forces. Magic is wonderful, exciting, and unexplainable. My idea of magic is tied also to the otherworldly. It plays a fundamental role in allowing us to access parallel universe where possibility is displayed beyond rationality. Technology. Uh, is the application of scientific knowledge for practical purposes. But it's important to remember that good science demands open-mindedness and the courage to challenge accepted truths. In the case of the new worshippers, the overlapping of these two concepts contribute to the creation of alternate worlds where technology, ritual, and magic merge to create new forms of connection and in a strange way also community. And here's a little clip of Rebecca's work right now. At arrival, personal communication artifacts were disconnected, collected, then taken out of sight. Everyone carry a bag. They grab their belongings and start descending through the dusty road that will lead them to their destination. Very little vegetation was on sight. Once the spot was found, they formed groups and set up tents. The sun had not reached yet its highest point in the sky. It is time to come together. Pass them around. They sat in a circle and peeled the cactuses with butter knives they had each brought from home. Their skin was thick, harsh, but smooth. Deep cut, the plant starts to bleed. The shimmer. No more secrets are withheld. The green slime extracted from the interior of the plant was placed on foil paper. The paper was placed on the sand, under the scorching sun. When the slime attached to the skin went dry, the pieces were collected and distributed in equal parts among the members of the reunited tribe. Open your mouth and chew. My chest is open and life is pumped into us. First of all, First fall, first fall, then light, 
then, then, then nothing then, and then, everything at the same time. For anyone who wants to listen to Rebecca's work, uh, Rebecca's work was the third episode that was ever on the show, El Peregrinaje, if I'm still remembering how to pronounce it correctly in yeah, Spanish. Yeah, you had two titles. You had one in English and one in Spanish. So it was the yeah. New Worshippers, El, Pre- El Peregrinaje. Yeah, that's all right. Exactly. Um, it's episode three. So if anybody wants to go back and do a deeper dive into that work or into um, Rebecca's practice in general, please feel free. Uh, Akinshola, what do you consider magic to be? Magic for me is the ability to kind of mo- uh, manipulate or alter your environment, um, usually with a specific methodology. Um, and it is quite difficult to deduce um, using uh, reasoning or spe- like a specific logic or reasoning. Um, almost like a black box you can't understand what's going on but you know and which is also why it's thought to be as a supernatural thing um, because it's unknown or the the logical reasoning may be unknown to to most sometimes it's known to some so in the case of like Baba Lawos in Yoruba uh, or Ifa religion can't speak on many other sort of uh, uh, traditional religions but in the Ifa religion uh, you know there's there's a specific um, entities who are trained, who understand uh, the system or the logic and apply it in a particular way to engage or uh, delve into the spiritual realm uh, or the realm of deities. So yeah, this is what magic is for me. And uh, technology is applied science, where science is, you know, uh, a specific way of gathering and displaying knowledge. Um, it's very well defined and you apply this in a particular, uh, in a very specific manner, um, usually to gain something out of this uh, or to manipulate the world around you too. So yeah, this is these are the differences between them. And the reason why I kind of put this forward is because in this, um, in my play or the audio play, the audio play, um, I was trying to make the connection between modern computation and a divination system, uh, where divination system is a system of rules that allows you to connect to the ifa, um, to the Odo ifa, which is a series of verses which allow you to engage with uh, the deity realm. Um, and I was drawing parallels between that and modern, modern computation, which I would consider to be a, you know, a collection of different technologies. Um, and they're all kind of rooted in the same uh, sort of logic, which is a binary mathematics. Um, so yeah, this is what's guided my thought um, on this. And here's a clip of Basode for you to listen to right now. Who are you? I am Urumila, father of wisdom. Oh, I remember this name. I remember my mum telling me a story about you, an issue. Where are we? We are at the main marketplace in the town of spirits. Why did you bring me here? You were guided by your destiny. What are they selling? 
stories, memories, images of another time. The spirits of this town have become restless and in their loneliness have become insane. Divorced from their great dreams, these images keep their ashe alive. Through nostalgic images, their dreams of rejoining their families in the metaverse are kept alive. The metaverse? I'm confused. Their spirits have families in the metaverse. Hmm? Why don't they go? I have an Oculus they can borrow. Long ago, I devised an algorithmic system of fiction to allow for all things living and dead to realise their destinies. Through this system, your ancestors travel throughout the different towns. In the metaverse, they reflected on their past and created futures through mapping out bits of data, usually through stories, songs and play. Maya, I was wondering for you as the curator of this kind of overarching project, and I'm sure it's always constantly changing for you, but what do you consider magic to be and technology? What are the differences? Yeah, that's such a good question. I mean, for me, it's sort of what magic isn't that becomes the way that I approach it. So when I start thinking about it, I get almost overwhelmed with the different practices that can be named magic. So there's a huge difference between occultism and shamanic practice. There's, you know, paganism and then there's Wicca, there's uh, witchcraft and hedgecraft and, and spellcraft and then just everyday divination. Sort of an umbrella of, of magic is for me a system of tools that allow us to maybe affect or influence spaces around us, whether that's psychically or physically or spiritually. Magic is just something that can be channeled or can be used. I think there's also different belief systems that consider it in different ways. One thing I know it isn't is um, uh, she who must not be names fiction. <laughs> and and uh, I mean JK Rowling, sorry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't like to don't like to use her name. Yeah, so I think that became the the magic in those those types of books uh, where there's no consequences or awareness of the kind of power that you're channeling or the energy that it's used that's for me exactly not what magic is so it's just easier for me to define it that way then technology is in the sense the same thing but seen through a different lens so i would consider magic and technology to both be systems of tools mm -hmm. and systems of of influence so the way i kind of see it historically and this is just preferencing from a European perspective and also just more like in an awareness of how Europe and its changing philosophies and knowledges has approached magic and witchcraft. I think that technology has in a sense replaced magic with a way to influence and change the world around us. The difference I guess in that case is just that magic is something that approaches the unknown and technology approaches the known. So for me, they're really linked 
they go hand in hand. The point where magic is even used as like a marketing term for some technology. It's like, oh look, it's like magic, but it's a TV. Yeah, it's a TV or it's it's uh, your iPhone or it's AI and then you look into it and actually the digital technologies companies that create, for instance, AI, which is for me the thing that I know best about, um, are very strategic with using the word magic to define what it is they're doing. Because the way that we see magic, which is again this sort of she who must not be named territory in the 21st century is directly related to this res like shirking responsibility, stepping back from something that just exists in the world and can therefore not have a negative influence or, or can only be wielded by bad people. So in a sense, like calling digital technologies totally neutral and assuming that magic would be as well. But I kind of want to push against that a little bit and say, well, calling this something as like um, almost like ephemeral or, or ordained or magic is already creating a space where we don't have to look at these tools. We don't have to be critical of them. Neef. I know we're not talking about our work here, uh, and I, I'm sure you probably don't have a, as we are the askers of the questions, you might not have a response, but I guess it might be nice to know you, because I know that your work To hear our kind side. Of, yeah, I think, because I think both of our work um, does kind of look at some of these things as well, and maybe not as much as Rebecca's and Akinshola's work does. I would say it's more tangential, but I think it's maybe one of one of the things about this this topic that i feel like ideas around magic or ideas around technology are like intersecting with many different artistic practices at the moment and one of the initial meetings we had i had come off the back of a research residency where i was looking at mineralogy a lot and one of the last questions i asked this mineralogist i was working with in berlin i asked him what was the link between alchemy and mineralogy because I, I have a friend who he's also been on the show actually he's also kind of um in this lineup of uh, of artists sadly couldn't be here today uh Nikolai Azariah who is really interested in alchemy and, and in salt and we'd been kind of talking before I went on this residency about minerals and thinking through materials which I think is something super intrinsic to my understanding of magic is like how you engage with different forms of materiality that go beyond the like what does science tell me that it does mm. to put it in a, in simple language and he was saying that there's this kind of clear trajectory from magic to alchemy to science in terms of let's say mineralogy so in alchemy you think of something like the philosopher's stone which is this super elusive thing because it has these kind of mystical properties and but it also comes from an obsession that came from it with magic. But then in a scientific term, you can be like, oh, no, this does exist or it doesn't exist because these are the elements within this rock or this rock. And this is a chemical reaction that you can make happen, that you can make something that is what a philosopher's stone was supposed to be exist. And so I think that's my interaction with with magic is that kind of trajectory. And then in terms of technology, I think, Nina, that's more your remit than than mine, um, especially in terms of AI. But I think maybe something that relates it back to 
this radio show or this project is also that sense of I guess reaching towards the unknown with different sets of tools so like for example when we featured both um, Rebecca and Akinshola's works they're both reaching into these different ideas of futures or alternative presence and I think maybe magic does a similar thing about creating an intention that kind of reaches forward and technology also it's something that's kind of I mean, when it's done well, technology pushes you forwards. And I guess that kind of idea of futurity maybe is something that we've both been thinking about with this project for the last, geez, two years. But yeah, Nina, what what do you think magic is? How does magic relate to your practice? <laughs> I, didn't, I actually didn't have, I didn't like set myself up there because I actually don't have an answer to this question. Um, but I, th- I think my answer is probably something slightly similar to Maya's in the sense that I think that they're the same same thing and views through a different lens I'm literally just taking the words right out of Maya's mouth yeah I think in like in my work I look at sort of emerging rituals that within kind of online digital dance spaces that show how these two things kind of are the same thing and I guess where we're sort of headed and not necessarily in a dystopic way but what I'm sort of interested in that space of where technology which I would say I would have used to have considered that under the umbrella of the sciences but where technology kind of starts to come out from under that umbrella and into categorized under something more magical one of one of the things that we Nina and I were talking about in preparation is we're talking about magic and technology and kind of also this idea that you're working with in Hethem in terms of thinking about the two of these in the present moment particularly around AI which led us to think about why is magic relevant today kind of in this present moment and kind of the 2000s and so on but also why are we talking about it right now? Kind of why this, why in 2023? And maybe also reflecting on that within your different works. Like, for example, Rebecca, your work looks at this kind of near future, which we talked about before a little bit on the original episode. And also Akinshola in terms of Bozode, it also like, it also has a near future vibe like you don't it's not quite placed in time but it uses technological references that are like oh it must be pretty close to our present because I recognize what a raspberry pi is and so on I think that um, to be able to dream to think outside the constraints of the capitalist system is already an attempt to reach towards a magical world Um, I'm aware that magic can also have darker connotations but personally I related to possibility and to the unexpected when the expected has been proved to be disappointing. I feel I, I, I think a lot about disappointment and a lot of the work that I do comes from that space somehow. Um, so yeah, I feel like uh, amidst an era of escalating environmental upheaval and intense unease, there exists a palpable urgency to investigate the ontological connections between human and non-human entities and worlds. Magic could be understood as a vehicle or a tool that allow us to embark in this exploration. I mean, I'm also thinking about magic being relevant now in a more sort of 
socio-political sense in that, and I think this also comes up a lot, much more maybe in your work, Arkansas, but I think in both of your your work that magic is is something that has always been oppressed and it actually still is and will can be denounced as witches in some parts of the world and be prosecuted for that. So I see it very much as a rising form of resistance. So being a practitioner or being someone who recognizes and works within the cultural practice that is and has been magic in, in any form is a way to kind of push the boundaries of what's been possible for marginalized groups. And I'm bringing that women, queer people, people of color, that that has always the, the boxes that have been created for us, however we identify, can be pushed, can be can be opened in some way by conducting or making magical practice. And I think that's just a very something where you bring people together, you start working on uncovering traditions that have been violently oppressed and yeah that's in some ways and I think maybe for some groups at least like the queer community that that is at least in some way real interested in magic this is a way to, to 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 carve a space and then to push it so that's that's deeply relevant now I mean is it, is it climate change is it you know violent oppression of of women is it whatever it is that's that's being done that's that's violent and harmful i think that there's a way to to face it with the knowledge that is magic so of course it's just saving the world or something i don't know <laughs> but akinchola i'm very curious about the ibo um, practices that you i mean because I've, i've just encountered your work today for the first time so i'd love to know more about how yeah if what i said resonated i'm just curious Yes, I I and I, I completely agree. For me, magic, like I I don't want to romanticize magic in any way and say that this is you know you know a system of thought that is better than the system of thought that exists now. It's an antagonistic thing and it allows us to yes create new possibilities or ways of thinking and connecting. Yes, I'm sure if this was the dominant thinking, which it was, it was probably oppressive to those in those times. You know, if a religion has its you know structure um, of how society and how you should live. So yeah, I, I I think of it as being antagonistic to a certain worldview, and allows you know for certain discussions to happen. But yeah, I don't want to romanticize it anyway. But yeah, I I yeah I I just see it as a tool. I think you guys have summed it up better than I can. But yeah, I just think for me, I see these things as tools that can get us out of this muck. Regarding the Yoruba tradition, I can't speak on it. Hundred uh, percent, because I was not raised this. I was raised Christian. I was raised to be fearful of if our religion. Now, uh, you know, I've recently become uh, interested in understanding this because, yeah, it allows me to kind of reflect on society or the Yoruba, like the society I grew up in. I lived in Lagos for a bit, so like I would hear, you know, fragments of this, and it always kind of terrified me, but it was also intriguing in ways. Um, and yeah, to, and regarding why it's relevant today is also like technology seemingly becoming, I don't know, a bit more opaque. You know, it's uh, such as AI, you have black boxes that are you know, doing statistical calculations that you have no idea of the results and no one really understands it. You know, we kind of understand it. 
I also feel like, you know, you know, science itself is weird, you know, like quantum, I don't understand what the hell this is, you know, so I feel like, yeah, going from like classical physics to quantum physics and the world is becoming, or the world, like we are, we are understanding that the world is a lot more mysterious than a clock, you know, it's not like a clock that we used to understand it as before, so it's a lot more mysterious and then we need other tools to understand the world and I think magic is, can be a, you know, could allow us to think through this um and this is how i think about it yeah i can show in your episode we spoke a lot about magical realism and Mm. in prep for this i was listening to an amos tutuwala short story the palm wine drink card by amos tutuwala yeah it's on it's on soundcloud it's kind of mad it's this guy kind of shapeshifts basically throughout the story in its most kind of and he goes on, I mean, we spoke a lot about quests in your episode as well, and sort of like video game logic, fantasy logic. But in this in this story, the kind of main character, he kind of, he shapeshifts as he kind of goes across these quests and these increasingly, what we might describe as bizarre, but also magical things happen to him and happen to the people around him. But one of the things that struck me when I was listening to the episode, and I guess also in thinking about romanticism, is that it wasn't a judgment thing kind of he turns into a bird it's not good or bad he just turns into a bird um he has a child that's grown out of the nose of his wife it's not good or bad it just happens it's kind of it's opening up that space to dream but then kind of when we spoke about it originally about Tutuala's work it's also this um time of kind of regaining the cultural capital within Nigeria of like I'm telling my own story and I'm telling it in this way and this is my voice that's saying it and magic being this thing that um, like almost hasn't been co-opted in the same way by a colonial power because it's almost too scary for them to to deal with if that makes sense I mean I I don't know if that kind of resonates with how you're thinking about magical realism or Magical realism, sci-fi, fantasy, for me, they're all kind of under the same umbrella. And I kind of, uh, they're just interesting ways to reflect on the world. You know, you take it, you abstract away, and then, you know, you ext- make one thing extreme and you reflect on this, and then you can have a moral of the story or not, or whatever. So I think these are all kind of similar tools that have been used all around the world. But yeah, magical realism for me is a fun way to investigate the world, to extrapolate or make things more extreme or reduce them or just you know kind of talk about specific things and this is what I was trying to do in my book or my my, uh, film and audio play where Yoruba if our religion has many deities but I pick two uh, that contrast each other one is you know creates this deterministic world the other one is a trickster and gives you choice and this allows me to talk about you know determinism and free will and this is you know, this is how I use it. And in other cases, I've done similar things, but slightly different, you know. So it's all, for me, just a tool to communicate uh, a particular concept or moral or, you know, you know, go deeper into a concept. Is magic a way to find peace in the unknown or to structure the unknown? Uh, from this understanding, how does science and magic operate in similar ways? So, Rebecca, the role of trance is a space to remove oneself of the need to understand, and Akinshola having a spirit world which blurs the very boundaries of objects themselves and space and time. When I think of magic, 
I think about delving into the unknown. Peace or no peace, I'm not really sure about that. Destructor, yes and no. I mainly see it as a defiant act, a jump taken, uh, fueled by hope. When I think about trance, I think about detaching the mind, the soul from the body. I mean, if you think about it, our physical bodies, while powerful and as miraculous as they are, they can also be quite limiting. It's as if we need to leave them behind to access otherworldly realms. This detachment can be achieved with hallucinogenic plants, designed drugs, and in the case of the new worshippers, possibly also the use of technology. I read this text the other day uh, where they qualify the shaman as an interspecies diplomat who establishes relations with the spirit of the water, of the tree, of the bees, of the jaguar. This idea is extremely relevant to my work. To remove from ourselves the label of human and all the connotations that it carries and becoming king with all earthlings. Even when this can take place for a limited amount of time, it plays an extraordinary role as it allows us to have a peek into other ways of understanding and inhabit the world. Yeah, uh, I like this. That was good. Um, to kind of pick it back on that, I would say for me, I wanted to define the unknown. The unknown is anything outside of this, like, you know, hegemonic sort of structure. I feel like this is like a big structure and then anything outside of that is kind of weird or queer or magic or, you know, so like, so starting with this, yeah, magic, as I defined it before, for me, or not defined it, or how I understand it is, you know, the system of rules or, you know, certain practices that you do and all this or rituals that allow you to engage with, you know, these other forces or otherworldly forces or other ways of thinking or other ways of being. So, yeah, I could say that, yeah, just as a quick, as magical way to find peace in your known, I'll say yes. And also help you structure, I would say yes. Um, if I was to define magic in this way, like for instance, now I got into, you know, herbs, like teas. Um, and I saw this as a really weird thing, you know, like, yeah, I'm making all these teas. This one helps with my headache. Uh, this one is good for, you know, uh, when I have a, a, a a problem with my throat, I'm a bit sick, I'm gonna have mix make make this concoction to, you know, kind of aid myself. Um and this feels weird because we have this big pharma, you know, like for thousands of years this was a normal thing to do. It wasn't like like weird or different or you know, it doesn't help you understand the unknown. This was the structure. So for me, I yeah, I, I for me I like to I don't know, but like, especially in the way which we understand or popular culture understands magic. And I think, um, Matt, you kind of, um, uh, alluded to this before in relation to like, uh, yeah, for me, it's like, it's always a, a system of thought that sits outside the common, the dominant thought. Uh, not always, but this is how I imagine it. And this is how we imagine it a lot of the time or the language or, you know, popular sort of vernacular about it is like, a system of thought almost that exists outside of the, the dominant system of thought. And I think it's interesting for this. 
and yeah and, and, and when i say and find pieces i, I don't know pieces i don't know if pieces is the right word but this gives you a greater understanding or a greater connection to this um i don't i don't know if it makes you understand it more but it gives you a greater connection well i i i found both of your answers so beautiful i mean for me i'm not quite sure how i really see it i was sort of trying to imagine it while listening to both of you from the this idea of of collapsing the spirit world and the, the the real world together maybe that's something more approaching what i imagine i i also love the idea of the billiards on a on a table that are sort of you can just sort of come down on them with with another way of knowing and suddenly they gain a different dimension or they float or you know we can imagine it very visually um so maybe i guess i would say it's sort of the opposite as in the way that i am currently feeling magic it's a way of bringing the unknown into the known space i think also ma magical realism really resonates with me for that reason as in it's just creating a an a, a normal uh cohabitation of the supernatural and the natural and it it's it is sort of neutral in a sense it doesn't have um barriers to the spirit world that say okay this is where evil starts and we can't let anything into uh our space because it will cause chaos and destruction um i would hope that with something of an a different way of seeing magic that it is actually sort of opening those barriers a little bit um because i don't think there's anything evil lurking there let's say <laughs> Each of you has explored materiality as a way to examine magic. So, for example, Rebecca, in your work, data or a phone, um, and Akinchola in your work, thinking about a Raspberry Pi or cowrie shells. Do these objects help make the magic within your world seem more or less tangible? Or do you think of them as kind of talismans from your worlds? Um, materiality. Magic. The audio play was an adaptation of a film, a short film I made two years ago. And within this, um, there was a carry shell, which was used, or two different types of carry shells. There were uh, 16 carry shells, which were used for the divination process. And then there was one big shell, which was used to transport through the realms, which was given to Bostadé to transport through the realms uh, by um, Orumila, which is a deity. And Rimila gives Bosode a list of items that she should use to kind of construct this charm or yeah, construct a charm which allow her to collapse these worlds. Um, so the carry shell, um, this is a bit more obvious. This is used in many cultures, I think, as money. I think currency is a big thing. And then also used in divination process within West Africa. I also believe in South America or Latin America is used um, in various uh, divination process. So this is quite, you know, obvious and easy. Um, in Yoruba, uh, if I religion, you can either use carry shells or the palm kernels. The raspberry pie, um, this was chosen because um, I was reflecting on, you know, the role technology plays in the world. You know, a lot of parts of the narrative is that in, in the data centers that we have now, there used to be portals to you know, portals from the town of things to the, um, the town of spirits. And these data centers were constructed there to use this energy or use this portal to drive this force. 
also because like green energy now and they're like you know all sustainable and they're just running themselves so i was like okay this is actually the force it's a lie that's green energy so i was kind of playing on this but i didn't really want to go too much into this in the narrative but this is what i was thinking and a raspberry pi is like you know it's a hacky device you know it's like a you know, 20 to 40 quid more accessible than any other personal computer computing device you can get maybe a phone is ac more accessible oh this yeah this was created i think it was created by some some researchers in the UK or maybe published by the, some researchers in the UK. I'm sure there's been lots of work that's gone into it. Um, but this is what I know about the Raspberry Pi. And it was kind of, you know, created to be this device that everyone can use um, and everyone can hack and, you know, you can make any project on it. You know, all you need to know is some Python or some C++ and then you can make anything. You can make any app and, you know, just do anything you want and process and process data, you know, make interesting games with it uh so i thought yeah this was like the perfect device to kind of or within this narrative to kind of destabilize you know this um sort of uh, uh global sort of information processing system you know uh, it's like you know um a beaver and a dam you know it's the smallest thing that's going to you know, overturn it so this is what i was thinking and i just thought it would be yeah like a device like that in everyone's hands in theory can disrupt or gives you the power to disrupt um i know this is nonsense but this is within the narrative that i well maybe it's nonsense or not nonsense i don't know who knows maybe it's a vast supply that would overthrow uh facebook but or meta now um but <laughs> i kind of wanted it to be a commonplace thing almost like if you see a carol show you may think of my film or razi pie you may think of my, like you may think of this revolutionary sort of feeling that you can have with it well, I think that when writing fiction, it's important to anchor it somehow in uh, our shared reality. You know, like to me, that's an access point to the story, or that's the way I, I think about it when I decide to start writing a piece like that. Uh, in the new worshippers in my story, uh, the phone devices appear tw only twice, like at the beginning when the the group the protagonists and the group arrive to the space where the event is going to take place and then later once the event has finished right everyone let's start moving up do not forget to pick up your phones they have been kept in metalized shielding bags The collected data of your trip will be sent to your homes. Keep it in a safe place. It is for you to enjoy. Thank you for coming. Please remember to fill in the review forms. So I feel like, I mean, phone devices have become almost extensions of ourselves, you know? And at the same time, this possibility of being connected all the time uh, with the rest of the world really interferes uh, directly with our ability to sit along with our thoughts. Uh, so in my story, is in my story the phone a, a talisman? Uh, I don't think so. But, uh, you know, maybe whatever container that would be provided with the data of the experience would certainly be, you know? I didn't imagine that the data would just be plainly shared via link. You know, in my mind, I saw like a precious object that would be kept safe in the home of the participant, you know, of the experience. I didn't want to get mad 
too much into it or provide too much detail because I love allowing some space for people just to use their own imagination, you know, and create their object. Um, this object in particular will become like uh, the key to the memory of this like artificial sublime that these uh, people have experienced, you know, to the, to the connection, to the transformation they had experienced, basically. I was quite interested in, in I guess, reflecting on both of your works from the idea of this materiality as I've been researching a bit around witches and it feels like a lot of kind of forms of witchcraft is also like quite rooted in like the kind of materiality to the supernatural almost in a way that kind of trajectory might I'm sure you'll have much more to say on this than I will um I guess I'm and kind of what I'm thinking about in like asking you about almost these works acting as talismans is also um this kind of similar trajectory from kind of the, the material to the supernatural which for instance like Akinshola in, in your work with Buzode feels very like explicit in terms of like a cowrie shell is something that kind of certain like high streets in London like you can go and like get cowrie shells and they're like very like materially present for us like in in the city we're living in in, in London um but then in in the film but also in in the audio play kind of you have kind of this image of this like really big cowrie shell that like she's holding to her ear and then it kind of brings you to the supernatural and likewise Rebecca in your work there's also this sense where it's like yeah it's the phone almost like yeah the putting away of the phone is like the marker of entering the supernatural and then it ends and then the phone is returned you know with the added bonus of it's almost like oh now you have this catalog of whatever that was whatever it was for that for that viewer and so on um I don't know I guess my have you thought because obviously you're curating this digital space which is kind of I mean like we say it's immaterial obviously like all technology has a material undertone to it have you been thinking about talismans or like these forms of materiality I guess within magic or like how you want to explore it through the program that's such a good question um you've also really hit on my biggest insecurity (laughs) as a curator of like a digital space that there's nothing to hold on to and um, when I was listening to Rebecca's piece there was this like moment at the end when you get out of the tent or the protagonist gets out of the tent and you say something like everything is dust that really kind of hit me because that that moment of sort of coming back to reality and and having something to hold on to after uh, a transcendent experience is Mm -hmm. so essential to kind of this whole otherworldly or, or supernatural way of, of being or way of life and in a digital space there's there's nothing to hold on to so I was actually working with my intern I, I asked her to write an essay for this mystics of the Cthulhu scene program which is what future artifacts is also contributing to and she came up with this idea of, of a digital pilgrimage and so she kind of dove into research into 
religious practices, religious also yeah, spiritual or transcendent practices of, of transporting your body between place to place. And what if there's any tiny bit of that that you could still hold on to in the digital space? And short answer, no, there isn't. <laughs> but is there a way to to bring something with you on a, on a journey online is, I think, a question that I, I really love. So we came up with an idea of um, doing a ritual of playing the Wikipedia game, uh, the, the rabbit hole game. Do you guys know it? No. Yeah. What is that? It's so fun. It's so like 2003. <laughs> um, but it's you can actually like Google it and there people are playing live all the time. But you can also just play it with a friend sitting next to you. So basically you um, start a timer and you, someone or you press you choose an endpoint for a Wikipedia page. So you want to get to the Wikipedia page for Madonna. Mm -hmm. And you can, there's a random page generator on Wikipedia. So you press random and it's a race to see who can get by clicking through the links in Wikipedia as fast as possible to Madonna, Madonna. or whatever other page you're, <laughs> you're trying to get to. It's so freaking fun. Um, and we thought of that as a way to sort of enter the realm or kind of like a uh, a portal into mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a different experience of being online and this is something i'm really actively searching for for myself like is there a way to spiritually or magically or i don't even i don't know what tangibly experience being online because if there is one i am looking for it taking recommendations is there something material that that can work into it? I mean, no, there isn't. And as um, as Neve said, actually, the underlying cost of all digital technologies is is enormous, and that's also what is obscured with calling digital technologies magic. Um, is there environmental and human and more than human costs? Mm -hmm. uh, so just to name a few lithium mines, um, labor or surveillance of labor in Amazon warehouses, data extraction, all of these things are ways to basically vi like create violence in our daily lives and create a huge distance between what that violence is and what we actually experience on a beautiful sleek iPhone or uh, ChatGPT. So in, in a sense, that's the materiality yeah. that we're sort of forced to confront. And so if there's a talisman that can can break through that that obscurity um, and ephemerality, I would I would love to be able to carry it, whatever it is. I'm just holding on to this little chestnut right here that's sitting <laughs> next to me. And I've, I've been really clutching it during this conversation. So maybe there's something there. It's making me think of Neve's the last episode where you were talking, Neve, about holding hands with minerals. When you hold your phone, yeah. you're, you're connecting in some way to the minerals that, that power the device. I mean, we're not necessarily talking about being online, but that could extend to, to being online. No, completely. I mean, I was teaching a workshop in April in Berlin as part of the same research with a mineralogist, and one of the things... I, I was talking about was kind of questioning this idea of like clean energy or like particularly like clean renewable energy 
and was guiding students through first off a basis in let's say where mineralogy and geology start from as a enlightenment subject that's primarily coming from kind of a colonial desire to categorize value so like why is lithium called lithium why is it worth what it's worth and, and so on and ended the first day with basically a very intensive decolonial critique of the entire subject and all the students I, were te- I was teaching many architecture students were like depressed because it was like oh my god I'm so implicit in this structure just by sheer virtue of me like owning a phone um, in terms of like all of those power structures have kind of led to these forms of technology we'll have in like most of Europe um, and most of kind of western you know that kind of the sheer quantity and the and the quality of, of those tech of those kinds of forms of digital technology and so then the next day what we did is we went back into the mineral collections and um we actually looked at kind of okay what does a piece of lithium look like if i hold it in my hand what does a piece of barium look like um what is cobalt extracted from how do i get copper and trying to kind of go back through that like material route so I'm almost wondering if these forms of talismans could actually be like, obviously a lot of these are heavy metals, so don't hold them and then eat your lunch with your hands. But um, like maybe maybe it's partially about like holding on to these um, to these um, materials that are kind of are coming from the ground, both as a way to kind of you know as you're saying like connect yourself with the different geographies or the different peoples who've been kind of implicit in what we now have to communicate with each other like this laptop and zoom and all this kind of thing um but also kind of going back to the alchemy idea at the beginning like something that's also like gold is necessary for many digital circuits but it's also got huge roots in magic and is and the alchemists obsessed with it um maybe maybe that's a form of talisman for technology i don't know so to close, as explorations of magic and the occult become more popular across the art world, is there an ethics towards representing these practices which you follow? And what role does belief have? I think it's a really, really important question. Yes, ethics are really important in, in dealing with magic. And the way that I'm sort of circling around it as a curator is asking artists who are approaching magic and its intersection with artificial intelligence in a way that really complicates it. So if you're an artist who works with with AI, it should be as a, a no, in a wary relationship. And if you're an artist who works with magic, it should be a wary relationship. So one that's not, as, as Akinshola put it so nicely earlier, not romanticizing it, mm-hmm. but being in a space that's actually a little bit uncomfortable or trying to bring both of these tools or technologies forward um, into a space where they can if if they will inform each other the information that they should both gather should be with a positive outcome so just to give an example the first artist that i invited to write for us and we'll also put the link i guess hopefully in um, uh, the episode uh, is a designer named Ginevra Petrozzi and her practice 
comes from reading smartphones as tarot cards. So she noticed that they're uh, the exact same dimensions as uh, traditional tarot decks. And she started by asking people to just lay out their phone to her and she would start to read it. And that morphed into a practice of hacking suggestion algorithms on Instagram or Facebook um, or even just Google by or and TikTok by recognizing that um, there's strange relationships that we have with our phones that start to take on the form of superstition. So, for instance, uh, you know, if you're like talking into your phone and saying uh, to your to your boyfriend's phone and saying um, <laughs> uh, therapy for men, Cartier oh, diamond rings. Yeah, I've seen, seen that seen too. Yeah. Yeah. So freaking so funny. Good. And then like, and then suddenly he gets suggestions for uh, online therapy. <laughs> uh, so she she took that as a form of 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 hacking the mm-hmm. um, the algorithm, or she no she she started from there, uh, noticing that people were already doing this, and decided let's exploit that. And she made a workshop with um, women from uh, her for from Rome, um, where she where they worked together to make a a, a chanted mantra into the phone that is essentially a manifestation of of a um a safe existence for them so instead of like cutely asking for diamond rings from your boyfriend it's i am not afraid of men and i am able to express myself as in the gender that i am and and this kind of very different way of of working with this algorithm that we know is there it's lurking and listening to us and can we respond to it in a different way so i i love her work and um i'm trying to channel that kind of uh critical but very positive energy into the next phase of this project and generally as a curator in the digital world this is what i want to keep in mind all the time i feel like uh i will start by saying that a lot of my research as uh some of you guys know uh delves into pro-colombian cultures uh, whose beliefs and costumes have been deduced by the study of archaeological findings, their ceramics, architecture, textiles, jewelry, just to name a few. As you know, my approach, well, you know now because you heard you heard the piece, uh, my approach to magic is uh, mostly through shamanism. Like, that's my interest. Uh, so as a non-Indigenous person, it's very important to me to not position myself as a representative of any group I don't really belong to. I really acknowledge through my work, in my work, I try to really acknowledge my outsider position in relation to the objects and the stories I work with uh, and try to approach them in a thoughtful and respectful way. Um, I speak then through my voice, my experiences, my cultural heritage, and of course, my own curiosity. Uh, in regards to AI, I actually do use it in my work as a tool. And as Maya said before, I do it in a very wary way. Like I'm really, I mean, we all seeing, we are all seeing what AI can do, you know, which is like impressive. But you know, the, we also have enough information now to know that that thing that is in the darkness cannot be that good. <laughs> So uh, I really try to keep up with uh, research papers and like things that like constantly 
getting information. I think that's the only way that, yeah, that's the only way that we can take, yeah, informed decisions really of how we use these tools uh, in our work. That's that's what I think. I didn't know what to think about this actually. As I said, I'm coming from a point where I was brought up, you know, to be Christian, to be scared of these sort of religions. So me engaging with this and understanding if our religion is not a, purely like a fetish or juju or black magic thing, that it's this world of thought. And this is what I'm really dealing with. I'm not trying to romanticize it in any way. I'm just trying to, for me, it's just a personal discovery and understanding, okay, this is uh, a form of thought that incorporates, you know, mathematics, whether for the binary mathematics or a certain understanding of physics and medicine. And so I'm, I'm, I'm very much trying to deal with it in this way. I'm not really, the only issue I have from recent times is regarding ethics is similar to what Rebecca said, um, is that I didn't, well, I have had experiences with um, these sort of practices when I lived in Lagos, so I'm not going to really delve into these experiences too much, but I, I, I am speaking from an outsider's perspective. I didn't, you know, I, I, yeah, I've had interactions with this and I've experienced this in ways but a lot of my sort of thoughts around it has really developed now or developed in the past four or five years when i lived in lagos um you know you know these things through whispers and all this so recently it's been coming together so i i i am very much aware when i will sit here and quote a british nigerian and say this is if our religion and then someone who listens to this and you know, starts to develop ideas and then maybe misrepresenting things and i'm very much aware of this so this is something i'm always aware of and I'm kind of scared to really talk about in this way so I was trying to position myself in this way so this is one thing I am very aware of uh, but apart from that regarding delving into these realms I'm for me trying to unpack them and not view them purely as this weird juju thing and understand all the different facets to them all the other elements to them which are you know, it's been demonized by Christianity and by colonialism. So now I'm trying to rethink these things. So, but not by romanticizing it, just trying to understand and kind of imbue these sort of feelings or vibes or like, you know, ways of thinking in my work um, without it being too didactic or whatever. Sometimes it is for a particular reason because I think sometimes it's good to be on the nose, but yeah. So what role does belief have? Yeah, for me, there's one big thing about this is like whether, like, as I say, I, I keep seeing tools and using things and maybe this is a weird way or capitalist way to think about things. I don't know. But for me, I'm not, none of you, like, I still kind of pray occasionally. I don't know if I believe in God, but occasionally I pray because it's a tool that allows me to calm myself and, you know, think about these things. Sometimes I engage in this because, so, you know, I don't know what I believe. But I think all of these ways of thinking can allow you to, for you to become a better person, for you to move in the world in a better way. And this is how I see it. Um, otherwise, I don't know. So just before we end really quickly, I just wanted to ask everyone what they're kind of currently up to. Obviously, Maya, we do know that you're like, this is sort of what you're currently up to and this is what you're in the middle of. But both Ak and Shola and Rebecca, are you still interested in... I guess the intersection of magic and technology in the in the ways that we've been talking about them today. I am currently writing a script for a film um, which kind of delves into these things. It's not the forefront of the work, but 
It is like the setting or part of the setting is this magical eco-commune um, where they use certain, they have like discovered, or they we're not really, don't really, I don't go too deep into it, but do you know like the idea of like free energy or like a perpetual, perpetual machine that comes like you, it never loses energy, kind of breaks the laws of thermodynamics. So it's a society that has able to produce, or commune is able to produce energy, um, kind of using magic and breaking the laws of thermodynamics. Um, purely because I've been seeing a lot of these things on TikTok. There's always like random videos of like windmills turning or like little small windows turning. And it's like, oh, I've discovered, you know, this energy, but it's not really, you can't because it's, well, you can maybe, uh, but it's like, you know, breaking the laws of thermodynamics, you always lose energy and it will come to a stop. But this is like a perpetual machine that turns and produces energy. So I'm kind of uh, dealing with this, um, or still thinking about this, but it's not the forefront of the work. Uh, kind of, yeah, the thinking is always there, but it's just part of the world I'm creating. Um, so there are gonna be magical elements, uh, but more playful. Um, it's gonna be a film and it's gonna be quite silly, like all my other films, you know, there's weird research and then Kind of end up being a silly film where you know there's this magical commune that is destroyed by some weird lawyer and lots of weird dragons and things like this evolved uh so yeah it's a bit odd um but yeah i'm still continuing the thought um and it's always there and it always will be there i'm like a software developer you know my nine to five so like this is a part of my world and my thinking so it's, I can't really escape it, but yeah. Um, yeah, I'm still kind of delving into this and thinking about this. I started working around these, these ideas. I started like delving into this research already, already or only, uh, depends how you look at it, a couple, th maybe three years ago, four years ago. And I feel that uh, the more I get into it, the more I, I find, you know, the, the more, uh, uh, I feel my curiosity grow. I feel like uh, new material to work with, like new questions arise. So, um, so yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, I mean to respond to the whole question, I would say that, for example, in a couple of weeks, uh, I'll be launching a publication in uh, Miss Reed in Berlin, which is an art book fair uh, created in uh, the, uh, in and festival. So the publication has been created in collaboration with. Pleats Press, uh, which is an independent publisher that produces artist books. So the name of the book is Museum Pictorial Sacred Filament. And the project revolves around uh, one of my series of 3D vessels, 3D printed vessels. The series is called Conjuring Eden. And we'll focus on the relation uh, to the entheogenic plants that they were inspired by. So that's one thing. Then in November, I will will be presenting a new work commissioned by Escala, which is the Essex collection of art from Latin America. Uh, and I will be taking part on the first Beyond Production Symposium on Digital Art at OGR Torino, uh, where I'll be talking about the artistic perspective of new digital technologies. So yeah, I guess, yes. <laughs> Sounds like you're busy. Sounds like both of you are, are busy. Well, I just wanted to thank all of you so much for this amazing conversation it's like feeding my inner 
witch nerd, which I'm currently <laughs> discovering. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to the next three episodes that uh, uh, Nina and Neve will produce for Future Artifacts Times Head Hem. Uh, and um, I just we're kind of dabbling on the couch. So if you're into experimental fiction, long form interviews, music digital artworks of course you can come on over i'm hoping that there's also a lot of humor in it and and uh, uh stuff that's also a little lighter uh but you can also dive deep like we just did uh, for the last how long we've we been talking two hours we've been talking for two <laughs> hours <laughs> i could yeah. we could keep yeah. going but yeah thank you all so much really appreciate great, it great thank you, thank you for listening and uh we will be back in a month with the first official episode with Hethem. Thanks for yeah, yeah. joining us. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.